Hello sports fans, welcome back to the True North Podcast. I'm your host, Bandit Rhodes. The 2023 Canadian National Swimming Trials just wrapped up a couple of days ago, and Canada's 16-year-old phenom Summer McIntosh was again the star of the show. McIntosh set two world records over the six-day event in Toronto in the women's 400-meter freestyle and 400-meter individual medley, and set world junior and Canadian records in the other three events she competed in as well, in what can only be described as one of the greatest weeks for a swimmer ever. A dozen other Canadian records were set in a fantastic week for Canadian swimming, and joining me on today's episode to break it all down is someone who's at the forefront of the coverage for the event, Devin Haru of CBC. In this podcast, we'll discuss swimming, and of course I couldn't have Devin on the show without talking about some curling as well. We'll also talk about the lead-up to the Paris 2024 Summer Olympics and Paralympics, or should we be calling them Summer's Olympics. All of that and more on this episode of the True North Podcast. Hope you enjoy this great discussion. I'm excited to be joined by someone who is figuratively and sometimes literally in the splash zone for the Canadian swimming trials in Toronto this past week. Of course, talking about Devin Haru of CBC. Devin, it's always a pleasure to speak with you and thanks for taking the time. Wonderful to see you. Yes. Uh, what a historic week at the pool. I, I, I think I'm finally recovered from it, Benedict. Yeah, as I mentioned, it's been a historic week and there's only one place we can really start. And that's, of course, Summer McIntosh. It was just a, you said, a historic week for the 16 year old and off the top, I was listening to some of her accomplishments this week, and you were there, of course. So what was it like to to witness this history, and especially the two world records from, from right up close? Well, I, th- I think what's fascinating and wonderful for me uh, about this experience is that I've gotten to know Summer really well over the last year, year and a half, since she really catapulted into the spotlight. And everything I've known about Summer McIntosh, just 16 years old, is that she's pretty poised, right? And her and I, when I visited her in Sarasota, Florida, where she now lives, um, she talked about sort of the internal excitement she feels when she races. And that whenever she looks at tape from her great moment, she can't believe she's at reserved in those moments because in the inside, she's buzzing. Finally, in a great moment, she showed us that excitement. So when she set that world record, the first world record ever for Summer McIntosh in the 400 meter freestyle, everybody has seen the tape now. Overrun with emotion, tears of joy, waving at her family in the crowd in a pool she's loved where she's had so many incredible moments in her early career. And then I'll share a story with you that I haven't talked publicly about, but she came out of the pool and I was the only network reporter there and she hugged me, which was, I was so taken back by because it was, I mean, we're supposed to be objective um, and certainly not hug athletes, but it was such a moment of pure euphoria, like she talked about to me. That it was just, it was really special. And it was a reminder that this still is a 16-year-old girl who who has human experiences just like that. So for me, um, you know, set aside the two world records and the five world junior records. I think what we saw is Summer McIntosh, the young woman, really coming into her own. Uh, She gave the best interviews of her career. And to me, that was the coolest part of it all. And and with that in mind, how important is it? You mentioned you know, she's still still sixteen years old, still young, still on the rise. And we see her as this kind of 
you know, future superstar. She's not a superstar already, but she, you know, talks about she doesn't know how to drive yet. And she's she's still like this, this young athlete. How important is it to, to keep that fine balance and not just see her as this you know, superhero? It's a wonderful question. It's a really wonderful question, right? She's still working on getting her uh, driver's license. And I was in the car with her and her mom, Jill, and that was a harrowing experience, uh, to say the least. Um, and it was fun. I mean, we had a lot of fun with it. But yeah, we have to remember she is only 16 years old. And I love what her what her coach, Brent Arkey from Sarasota, has continually said to me in all of our conversations is that um, we have to keep at the forefront that she's a kid. And I think that's the important thing about her training with the Sarasota Sharks Club in, in Florida is that this is a training center that has a whole bunch of young kids that have hopes and dreams just like Summer to one day compete at the Olympics for their country. I don't think Summer necessarily felt that same sort of atmosphere here at the Toronto Pan Am High Performance Center. Down there, she's laughing in the pool between sets. She's laughing when she's changing into her swimsuit on the pool deck. She's a character. And, and Canadians, I think, would be surprised to learn that. But she gets to be a kid in that setting. Where up here, I think there was sort of this white glove treatment of, oh, she's the next thing. We've got to treat her like this isolated special person. And any athlete I've ever talked to who's great wants to be training with people they enjoy and feel like they're a part of the team. And I think down there, she certainly feels part of a team pushing towards something great. She's really proud of what the club in Sarasota has done. And I don't think Canadians should get too worked up about the fact that she's down there because she and her family says the right thing every time I ask them. This is, we are still Canadian. We are still damn proud to compete for Canada. So everybody just calm down about that. And it seems like every time she gets in the water, you know, another record of some sort falls or or she's you know inches closer to the times that would have been, had her on the podium in Tokyo, for example. How much room do you think there is still for her to to improve? And and what's the talk from her coaches like about you know what she can do over you know World Championships, Pan Am Games, Olympics in the next few months? Well, all you have to do is look at what she did at a meet in Fort Lauderdale at the beginning of March, where she basically set personal best Canadian records and world junior records in nearly every event she competed in three weeks later at during trials. And she lowered every one of those times and beat two world records. And I don't know which one is more impressive, Benedict. I don't know if the 400 meter once held by Katie Ledecky and Ariane Titmus is more impressive or Katinka Hosu, which is like the Iron Lady, the the it when it comes to the individual medleys, the 16-year-old took that down. I, I really, truly believe we're only seeing the beginning of her greatness. And there's no question in my mind she's going to be faster at the World Championships in Fukuoka in July. There's huge room for improvement, which is, I don't mean in a disrespecting way. But in the 200 and the 400 meter individual medleys, she has a lot of room for growth in the breaststroke. And she openly admitted that to me. I mean, it sounds silly to say it's her weakest stroke, but it is her weakest stroke. And for context on that, um, during her, her world record in the 400 meter, 
she at times was two seconds below Katinka Hosu's pace after the backstroke. She dipped uh, over world record pace by half a second in the breaststroke. And by the time she finished the freestyle, she was half a second under the world record pace. If she even maintains and meets the breaststroke, she is obliterating these individual medley world records. And, and it's why she hasn't broken the 200 meter individual medley uh, record. So I think she's going to, I think she's once going to set the pool on fire at, at, at worlds. Uh, I think the big question now, I don't know if I'm reading from your, from your cue line is what events does she do in Paris? And I think the feeling right now is she's going to do five individual events, the 200 free, uh, the 200 uh, IM, the 400 IM, 200 fly, 400 fly. So, or pardon me, 200 free, 400 free, 200 meter butterfly. See, I'm already losing track of it, but she'll do those five events. Um, and people are already looking at the schedule with the relays as well to see if she can manage all of that. So, uh, that's what the goal is now from here until Paris, figure out how to mentally and physically prepare for five individual events and potentially two relay performances for Canada. And, uh, and we could do an entire episode, of course, about just about Summer McIntosh, but she wasn't the only swimmer, of course, at the national trials. And um, I believe 17 Canadian records fell throughout the week. So who else impressed you and what were some of the other standout performances? Well, I'll start with our Paralympians. I think Saskatoon's own Shelby Newkirk is a star. Danielle Doris, who, of course, won the Paralympic gold uh, in, in a world record time. Uh, she's outstanding. Orly Rivard, I had a wonderful talk with Orly. She is an absolute star in the pool. Nicholas Turbide, Nicholas Bennett. Um, you know, we can't forget about our Paralympians who will compete in the world championships uh, later this year as well. So I'm excited about that. Um, on the senior team side, you know, the Canadian men for a long time have trailed the women. That's, I mean, that's no secret to anybody. Uh, it's been the women who have been driving this program for years. And I can say names like Maggie McNeil and Kylie Moss and Penny Alexiak and Taylor Ruck, who have all been named to the team, despite Penny and Taylor both not performing, but they're all there. Um, but the men's side has depth like we've never seen from uh, Josh Leendo, the 20-year-old from Markham, who's literally just rewriting history right now. He had a bunch of Canadian records coming off an NCAA championship uh, in the 100-yard race, which is different, of course. Uh, but he went from the NCAA yards to the Canadian meters, and he just didn't miss a beat. Ilya Karun is a, is a guy I'm really excited about. He's going to be training under the great coach uh, at Arizona State, Bob Bowman, who famously coached Michael Phelps. Um, so Ilya Karun is going to be an absolute star being in that environment. Um, and Finley Knox is swimming great. Javier Acevedo is swimming great. So um, the, the men's relay teams are going to be a force. Individually, they're going to be a force. And I'll say it right here on this show right now. I think that Canada is going to have its most competitive and most successful worlds in history in Japan in July. And I'll say it right now. I think they're going to have the best ever Olympic performance um, at Paris 2024. 
Yeah, I had Byron McDonald in the last episode of this podcast, and he sort of said the same thing, and, and he called it a golden generation. I'm assuming that's something you also agree with. Oh, I mean, absolutely. A lot of people want to draw parallels, you know, to the 80s when Canadians were doing great things in the pool. And, of course, uh, the boycotted Olympics of 1984, Canada cleaned up in. Um, but but in this modern era, um, and, and maybe ever, I would say that... Um, this is the best we've ever seen. The talent and the depth is staggering. And the Canadian swimmers know it. That's what I love about it, is they have a confidence and swagger that we don't normally see in this sort of quintessentially Canadiana way. They got some swagger, and I love it, because they have the performances to back it up. And and switching gears a little bit, I couldn't have you on, on the show without talking some curling as well, of course. Um, I know you've been, of, of course, very involved in that sport for many years and following closely, of course, the World Championships going on right now in Ottawa. Um, on the day of recording this, Brad Gushu in Canada just beat Czech Republic and, and they're now 4-2. and two. Um, What have you made of the team's performance so far? And you know, they seem to have maybe a little bit of a hiccup, but they're kind of growing as the tournament progresses. Well, this is what I said to the great Colleen Jones, who, of course, her and I host that curling show. And, and you know, she's no slouch in her own right, winning six Scotties titles in two world championships. But I said, you know, the thing about Team Guju, if you look at his wins over the last six, seven years, um, he starts slow. So when he won his first Briar title at home in St. John's with the weight of the rock, squarely on his shoulders I think he was actually something like three and two after his first five games and everybody in St. John's and Newfoundland and Labrador were going this is a disaster and then he famously went on the run to win it all um, even at this year's Briar in London I thought the team started slow they looked uninterested they weren't communicating very well and then they went on a run this is exactly what I'm seeing. This is a blueprint for Team Guju. They had some hiccups. And, and really, I would chalk that up to different rocks and different ice conditions. And when you're as good as you are, when you're Brad Guju and Mark Nichols taking on the rest of the world, when there are different rocks and changing ice conditions early in the week, that is always going to favor the less talented teams. It's like the great equalizer, the, the, the variable to all of this. What I've seen in the last two games from Canada, convincing wins over Japan, Czech Republic, and I expect it to continue throughout the event, is they've figured out the ice. They have draw weight. They're, they are way more confident on the shots they're calling, the strategy they're calling. And if I was an opponent of Team Canada the rest of the way, I would be very concerned about what that means for me. I'm going to say it. I'm making some bold predictions on this on this show today. I wouldn't be surprised if they run the table the rest of the way because Gushu was pissed after his loss to Norway when he was in complete control of the game. And a grumpy, motivated Brad Gushu is the best curler in the world. I fully believe this will come down to Guju, Adin, and Moet. That isn't a staggering prediction. Um, but I expect those guys to be hammering it out uh, at the end of the week. And um, I think Guju's going to win. I'm going to be there. And I've, I've documented his some of his greatest moments. So I fully expect to do it again in Ottawa. You mentioned, you know, the great curls like Adin and, and Moet. Like, what will it take for, for Guju and Canada to beat these guys and, and these teams who are playing in good form at the moment? 
It's it's going to take their best games ever, quite frankly, because uh, if you look back at Guju's games against the Dean over the Olympics and meaningful games at the Olympics, Dean has won a handful of the last matchups. He uh, beat Guju in the gold medal game in Las Vegas in the World Championships last year. He beat him in the semifinal game in Beijing at the Olympics to knock Canada out at a, at a chance for gold. Um, he got the better of Brad at the 2018 World's gold medal game in Vegas. So Sweden and Nicholas Adin has kind of become Brad Gushu's kryptonite, and it bothers Brad. Um, he wants to be considered the greatest curler of all time. And if he, if he really actually wants that to be an objective thing, he has to win this world championship and he has to do it by beating Nicholas Adin. It's either going to have to happen in the semifinal or in the championship game. And, um, and Bruce Mowat is there as well. And these guys are a force uh, as well. So it's, this is not going to be easy. They're going to have to curl 90% and higher to beat those teams. Yeah, I'd love to see like a Drive to Survive style documentary kind of series about some of these guys and, and these storylines. Oh, I do want to see that because, you know, for as fierce as they are on the ice, let me tell you, those Scottish boys and Swedish boys love to have a good time. I've been around the world with all of them. In fact, uh, the Scottish guys, I was at their first ever world championship in Vegas, of all places. Uh, we might have been in the casino a little late into the mornings when they had morning games. I'll never forget that time. They were just bright-eyed young young guys. And, of course, Hammy McMillan Jr. is uh, on the Scottish team. And his father, Hammy McMillan, uh, actually won a world championship against Canada, if I'm not mistaken, in 1999. Um, so you can imagine how proud uh, the senior Hammy is. But I can tell you, the Scots like to party. And they have been in Ottawa. And it'll hit a different level on the weekend. Um, and, and speaking of, of Scottish curling and Canadian curling, I know, I know one thing you're passionate about is, is how can Canadian curling continue to grow and evolve? And and they've done that, or they're hoping to do that, by bringing in David Murdoch, who who transformed British curling and, and of course, the Scottish world champion. Um, what do you think needs to change in Canadian curling as much as you can fit into a couple of minutes here? And, I was... <laughs> and I was, uh, yeah. why is he the guy? I was going to say, uh, we're going to need a whole other show and an extended cut after hours. Um, I'm going to take a wait and see approach to David Murdoch. I've, I've heard, but listen, I like David as a person. I really, really like him. I think he's, I think he's a wonderful guy and obviously a very talented curler. But I think what we need to remember is that Scotland and British curling geographically is very different than the vast curling nation of Canada. What they were able to do with the British Curling Academy in Stirling, Scotland, is centralize everybody. So they, it was a high performance group. They were eating, sleeping, breathing, living, curling all the time. You can't do that in Canada. I think though, there are going to be some really granite shaking moves in the coming months and years by David Murdoch, when he gets his footing and when he gets the clout and the respect of being the new guy. Here's what I'll, here's what I think quick fixes will happen. I think we're going to see some really, really interesting changes to centralization camps. 
um, residency rules and, and all of that geographical, how you form a team business. I think there will be tweaks there, but more than anything, quick fixes. I think we're going to see changes to the timing of the Scotties and the Briar and specifically the Olympic trials. Uh, what we're asking our Canadian curlers to do by winning a Scotties or a Briar and then peak again two weeks after at a world championships is bonkers. And we don't talk about it enough. And what we ask our Olympians to do a month after winning the biggest event of their life is just, it's, it's bad. It's bad. Um, there's a reason why when Canadians have been going over, they have not looked fresh and sharp because they're exhausted. So I would say this month, we're probably going to see an announcement on the Olympic trials timing moving. That is, that is from sources and it'll be David Murdoch uh, driving the bus on this change. And shifting again a little bit, but still looking towards the future, you know, Canadian sports generally have a lot of rising stars at the moment. We've talked about Summer and and, and Josh Diendo and some of these athletes. Um, who are some of the athletes and teams that you're looking forward to watching with, you know, just over a year, I guess, till Paris? It's funny because I knew where you were going with this question and I started racking my brain of of the list of people that I'm really excited about. I can share that I'm actually getting them on a plane in about a week uh, after the uh, Men's World Curling Championships, I'm going to Winnipeg to meet with Skylar Park, who um, is a Taekwondo star. So we will uh, we will follow her, no doubt, and her brothers as well. They are standout. So we're going to see what they're able to do. Um, and then I'm going to Mississippi at the end of April in Starkville, Mississippi. I'll be running with Marco Arope, who is, of course, this sensational middle distance runner in the 800 meter, winning a uh, bronze medal at the World Championships in Eugene, Oregon last summer. Um, so I'm excited to be catching up with, uh, trying to catch up with uh, Marco down there. Um, I'm excited about our swimmers. I'm excited about our, our women's soccer team. I think our men's basketball team, um, let's hope that they can have success at Worlds um, and avoid uh, having to go to the last chance qualifier. Nobody wants to live that experience. Um, rugby Sevens, I was just at the Vancouver Sevens event and I'm hooked on this sport. You know, one of the great moments in my career was when I was with the Canadian Olympic Committee during the Pan Am Games, when both Canadian teams, uh, men's and women's, won gold at BMO Field in riveting style. Um, they're going to be looking to qualify for the Olympics uh, on home turf in Langford in uh, late August. So I'm excited about that. Um, you know, Andre DeGrasse, it's going to be really interesting to see where this guy is with his new Irish coach. Um, what I will say to Canadian sports fans is that I believe that this is going to be the games that tips the scale from Canada being a winter sporting nation to a summer sporting nation. The demographics, the diverse nature of our country, the way we are successful in internationally recognized sports, which are predominantly in the heat, um, has me truly believing that this is going to be perhaps the games where our Olympians win more medals at the Summer Olympics than the 2026 Winter Olympics. It's been coming. It was as close as it's been 
between Tokyo and Beijing, and now the turning point in our country's sporting history. Big words. I definitely like the sound of that, and uh, definitely something to keep an eye on over the next year or so. Um, before I let you go, do you have time for a quick rapid-fire round? Five questions, five answers? Oh, my God, okay. I always <laughs> get nervous about these, but I'm ready. Yes. All right. Number one. Um, first off, I want you to give me one current athlete, Canadian or otherwise, that you've never had the chance to sit down with an interview, but you'd really love to, given the opportunity. You know what? Um, oh, I was going to jump at that person, but I mean, the the person, you know, I think Sidney Crosby would be an incredible interview. I, I've just ranted and raved about, about the summer athletes, but I still think Sidney Crosby is beloved by so many, and, and yet we know very little about him. Um, he's done a masterful job in keeping the lowest profile ever for being the greatest, one of the greatest stars our country has ever had. So to me, sitting down with Sidney Crosby and getting real with him, um, that might seem like way too predictable, but I've never, I've never talked to him. I've never talked to him. And I think it would just be fascinating to have a 30, 45 minute conversation to get in, try and get inside his head. I think that would be a really cool experience. Uh, second one, you competed in several sports over the past few years in the form of media races or, or being asked to try stuff like, like speed skating. Uh, what's one sport that you've never tried or played that you'd love to give a go? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, okay. I'm going to say it. Ski jumping. Okay. Ski jumping. Because what I've always wondered, Benedict, is how do you practice for ski jumping? <laughs> like, you just decide one day that you're going to strap on a pair of skis and go down a roller coaster type hill and launch yourself into the air and hope to God that you land? I know it's not like that. I know they go in the water and do all of these things, but I'm just like, I really want to know what it's like to fly. Ever since I was a kid, I think I have Peter Pan syndrome. I think that's the closest thing you can get to flying. And um, yeah, I want to ski jump. I want to fly. So if you're listening out there, Ski Jump Canada, get me the suit, get me the skis and make me sign the insurance waiver. <laughs> And definitely looking forward to that content on, on CBC Sports. <laughs> um, number three, Canada is about to start the, the Women's Hockey World Championships in Brampton, where I grew up. Mm. Um, will Canada three-peat as world champions? And which player are you keeping an eye on? Yes, they will. Absolutely. I say that uh, unequivocally. I was uh, there uh, with the American team. I'm going to be writing a feature about the rivalry. But I feel like for so many years, I've told this story of the Canadians and how they feel about it. but we had this idea like, let's talk to the Americans who lose a lot of the times <laughs> and how much they hate losing to Canada and they hate losing to Canada. And I think they're in a bit of time of transition. They've named five rookies to their roster. They actually named their roster just a few days before the start of the tournament. Does that mean they're going to be bad? Does that mean that it's going to be a blowout in the gold medal game? Absolutely not. In fact, I, I believe the gold medal game will, like it seems every time in history since 1998, been decided by a goal either in regulation or in overtime. But Canada is going to win. 
They have too many veterans there with the DNA of champions, with the DNA of greatness who deliver in the best moments. And um, I'm going to be obvious with this, but I'm, I'm excited to watch Marie-Philippe Poulain captain another team at a world championship at home in front of a big crowd because it's been a long, tough slog for the Women's World Championship that was canceled and then it was in a bubble and then it was in Denmark with no fans and now it's in Brampton and the facility looks outstanding. That place is going to be electric and Canada is going to win, plain and simple. Uh, number four, likely or unlikely, Canada will host the Winter Olympics or Paralympics at some point in the 2030s. Ooh, that's a really good question. And I'm trying to get the answer on it every day. <laughs> um, here's what I can say through my sources. This thing is not dead in the water as many think it is. The IOC needs a win. And this is me being very candid. And in the environment we are in now, an indigenous bid led by indigenous peoples who have been at the forefront of this entire thing is I really think an important step in the Olympic movement. Um, I think I think the powers that be, you know, politically more than anything at the provincial level, um, I think there will be some movement. I don't think the IOC would have pushed back the deadline a whole other year. That's what I'll say, a whole other year if they didn't believe that Vancouver and BC wasn't going to be able to get its ducks in a row to put forward a bid. And if that happens, the 2030 Olympics will be in Canada, full stop. Yeah, definitely uh, a story to keep an eye on. And and last question for you, Devin. Who is one curler that has never won a Scotties or Briar? You think we should be keeping an eye on over the next few years? Maybe, maybe one of each, let's say. Uh, I would say Krista McCarville is the greatest Canadian skip ever, never to win a championship title. She has been so close so many years. She just made the move to bring in Andrea Kelly from New Brunswick onto her team. That might be the ticket to put her over the top. She was a runner-up two years ago in Thunder Bay. She was third place this year. She's knocking on the door. She's one of the, pardon me, purest throwers in the game. Krista McCarville on the women's side, Matt Dunstone on the men's side. That's a no-brainer. Maddie Dunstone, you saw how heartbroken he was when he lost to Briar. He is this close to winning it. He's going to be a great one for a long time, and he will represent Canada at the Olympics. I truly believe that one day. Devin, it's been a pleasure, as always, to get your thoughts and your insight, and I can't thank you enough for joining the show. Hey, you're great uh, at what you do. Thoughtful questions. Uh, always happy to be on the show. Thank you for listening to this episode of the True North Podcast, and thanks again to Devin for joining the show and providing his great insight. If you enjoyed this show and want to be the first person to listen to future episodes, subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts or at truenorthsports.substack.com. On the website, you can find a full breakdown of the Canadian National Swimming Trials and tons of other great stories. 
Follow us on Twitter at TrueNorth underscore Sport and on TikTok and Instagram at TrueNorthSport. I've been your host, Benedict Rhodes, and thank you so much for listening.